0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 50. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each of us find balance in our individual journeys. We're always excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. Our guest today is an amazing woman. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, inspirational speaker, consultant, and workshop leader in the fields of positive psychology and end-of-life care. She has traveled the country as a keynote speaker, trainer, and consultant for over 20 years, integrating research, clinical anecdotes, story, and poetry from the fields of psychology, mind-body medicine, and spirituality for professional and community-based audiences. She currently teaches with international leader in the field of happiness, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. Now, at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Make sure you click submit and I will share that comment with our guest. Or if you prefer to ask that question or make that comment yourself directly, you are welcome to dial into our conference line. 323 476 3672 with the ID 607 393 HOUND. And uh, if that went by a little too quickly for you, not to worry. That number will show up on your screen during this live presentation. I would like us all to welcome, and we are so honored to have with us Dr. Maria Siriwa. Hello, Maria. Hi Christina, how are you? Good, welcome to our show.
1: <laughs> thank you, I am thrilled to be here.
0: So Maria, I know that you've had such a wonderful long, long weekend, <laughs> very right. full, and uh, thank you for taking this moment with us. Can you share with our audience um, a little bit of your background and where you're from and how you came to be where you are now?
1: Absolutely, um, went to college, had no idea what I was going to do, entered into the business world, did public relations for a few years, and then had one of those moments where I realized I could stay on this track and do very well and earn a really decent living, or I could be happy. And I chose to move in the direction of what was going to lift me. And so at the age of 29, entered graduate school in clinical psychology. And during my final year of studies there, my fourth year, was fortunate enough to be placed in a pediatric oncology unit at Dana-Farber, which is a major teaching hospital connected to Harvard out here on the East Coast. Mm. And that year changed everything for me. Um, It was the opportunity to be in the presence of extraordinarily resilient and brave young souls and their families as they face death head-on and watch what they had to teach me and, and those of us who worked there about living about living while dying and living well in the presence of dying. So Mm. that year became a sort of touchstone year for me in my work.
0: Oh my goodness. And and how long did you say that you spent there?
1: I was there for a year as a training psychologist. And then for the next few years after did a little bit of consulting with them and have moved on to continue to work with hospitals and hospices and wellness centers and I um, do a little work as a consultant with the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp in Connecticut, which is Paul Newman's camp for children facing life-threatening illness. Mm. Um, so, so in addition to the positive psychology work that I do in the world of happiness and thriving, I continue to stay connected to this world of living well while dying.
0: Mm, mm. Well, But how, they go together so well.
1: They are just ends of a spectrum. Mm. ends of a spectrum.
0: Mm. Well, I would love for you to share with us, I mean, what, what, what does it, what does it mean to live well? What, what, what does it mean to live authentically? I mean, you hear that, I mean, they're words and, and I, I would say, you know, most everyone would go, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds (laughs) good. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, I can, I can live authentically, but, but really, what does it mean?
1: At its core, authentic living means that we are being true to ourselves, that we are self-authoring ourselves into our life, into our days. Um, No one can thrive living somebody else's life. So in order to have any kind of uplift, a sense of flourishing, a sense of being home on this planet, we have to be living our life. And authenticity is about self-authoring it's about living a life that's congruent. And what that means is that how we think and feel and what we value lines up with how we actually behave. Um, so it's about coming home in such a way that we every day we behave a little bit more and more in a way that is true to ourselves. It is about authoring ourselves into our days, which eventually adds up to a life that is authentic. And it's about this sense of, Underneath all of that is the knowing that we matter. Those of us who work toward authenticity have at our foundation this notion that who we are as we are counts. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, I, I mean, absolutely, it makes sense. Um, I, I. How would one know? I mean, what are the signs that one would sort of be aware, that should be aware of that, that show us that we're not living an authentic life. I mean, I, I see so many around me and they're living, they're, they're doing very well for themselves. You know, they have a beautiful home, you know, kids are growing up and in great schools and or married and there might be grandparents, but there is a through line that doesn't seem to align. And this is an outsider looking in, of course, outsider sure. from the outside. How does one actually know if they're being authentic or not when, when they can say, oh yeah, I'm happy. I, I have all these things. Right. I'm happy. <laughs> well, that,
1: what you've just asked is a core question. Um, we know that we're not living a life that is true to ourselves in a couple of different ways. One way in which we know is we're chronically unhappy, even when the externals seem to be the perfect setup for happiness. So chronic unhappiness, often chronic illness, chronic strain on the body, um, physical symptoms that just don't go away, a sense of constant stress, that can point us into the knowing that we really are not lined up with what we need, what we want, what's true for us. Um, People talk about, and I remember this from earlier times in my life, waking up in the morning and feeling like the entire day was going to be gifted to other people and other people's agendas. And at some point, that becomes just not okay. And we live in this difficult time of transition where we're constantly saying yes to things that don't nourish us and no to things that do. And we find ourselves, it's as if we're gritting our teeth through our days. So any of that chronic strain, chronic unhappiness, the sense that other people matter more than we do, those are all symptoms or signs of not really being true to ourselves.
0: Go (laughs) ahead. We're both about to say something. (laughs) Yeah. I could
1: could just keep talking. So I wanted to give a pause there.
0: Um, So so for example uh, with your studies and and the way you've integrated mind body techniques etc um so the in the psychology portion um if a person's not true to themselves it it does manifest in the body i mean that is a belief and it is a scientific fact
1: without question
0: mm.
1: without question there's a beautiful new field of medicine that's emerging now called narrative medicine which is training physicians and nurses to learn how to hear the story of the patient and the re- the, the basis of that entire new field is that in the story, you have the clue for the illness and the clue is often about this disconnect between what is truly nourishing for a person and what is not, or what one hopes for oneself and the reality of the life one is living. So it absolutely manifests in the body inauthenticity is illness it will show up as illness.
0: And and uh, what about those that might be suffering from like depression or sleeplessness or and, like they might not have had any of these symptoms before, you know, in their earlier years. And then suddenly it kind of creeps in. And, you know, you hear a lot of people go, well, you know, I'm getting older. I don't need as much sleep. And my body just kind of wakes up at, in the middle of the night or you know, I can't get back to sleep.
1: Sure. I mean, we are physical beings and we go through phases in which the, our anatomy, our physiology will have an impact on us. If you're heading into menopause, for example, you're going your sleep rhythms are going to probably change. Your hormone levels are going to change. That's going to have an impact on how you experience yourself in your body. And if you've done all the looking at the physical causes and you're still left with one, a wonder about why am I still not feeling well? Why do I have low energy, low vitality? Why can't I sleep? Um, why am I constantly restless, under strain? Why do I have chronic jaw pain, neck pain, headache? You know, it behooves you then to really consider that no part of us acts alone. We are physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual beings. And all of that works together. And so when there is imbalance in one arena, it eventually will have an impact in another.
0: Mm. You know, when um, they they love to, uh, our medical society a lot loves to hand us those little pills. <laughs> just say, oh, here's the one little white pill. You know, take one if you're not sleeping well, or, you know, right. uh, take this and it'll make you feel a little better. And I'll just cut the strain. I mean... Um, how does one wean or shift? How how does one make that shift when they've been possibly dependent on something for a number of years um, to say, okay, maybe I am not being authentic. Maybe I am not living. Um, I, I I don't like to use the word purpose, life's purpose, because that's a very confusing. For a lot of people, it's like, what does that mean? I get a lot of right. that. What does that right. mean to live a life's purpose? But, right. but you know, it just what does it mean to be true? Like if um, I've asked people before, you know, if you had the choice of doing anything, anything in your life right now, what would it be? Don't think about money. Don't think about anything. What would it be? And so often, I'd say about 80% of the time, there's, I get a blank stare. Right. I don't know.
1: And often that's because we haven't spent enough time nourishing even that kind of question. It, it isn't that many no one can answer that question. It's that the question itself is so foreign to us or we have visited it so infrequently that we don't know how to engage in it as a journey. Authenticity is not an end point. It's not like you you reach a certain state and there, that's it. It's you. It's a process of uncovering the deeper parts of oneself as one grows. And so we, but it's a, it's a, a path that needs investment in, it needs time spent on. Um, Very few of us grew up in families or in cultures that were very sophisticated at, at saying to you as a child, I completely honor and respect who you are. These are your gifts. These are your strengths. These are your vulnerabilities. And all of you is amazing. Most of us grew up with messages either at home or in our school systems or in the neighborhood that that gave us a mixed message about whether we were worthy or not, whether we were okay or not, whether to be truly who we were was going to help us further in life. And so we have to unravel those messages to get to the core of what is absolutely healthy and authentic within us. And that takes time. And to get back to your earlier question, the clients that I work with, my students, the um, colleagues who I spend quite a bit of time with in this question, there's usually a knowing inside. It can be a tiny, tiny voice, but there is a knowing that that pushes us to say, you know what? Those pills worked for a while. I really don't want to depend on them any longer. I'm going to try something else. Or, you know, that's an easy solution, but it's actually not the solution that is most energizing for me. What else is going on out there? And then we begin to pay attention to others who seem to be living an authentic life, which usually translates as a life that's full of vitality, health, happiness, and a kind of sense of, you know, I'm in this with life, I'm in it together that's mm. those are the hallmarks of authenticity.
0: Mm. It's making that shift and that awareness and wanting to actually spend the time to unravel what has been created really.
1: There there was some interesting research done back in the eighties on women who read Harlequin romances. And what was discovered is that the value of reading those chronic formula novelettes that everybody knew how it was gonna end was not <laughs> was not that they were reading it hoping for like a great surprise, or or not even that it was escapist as much as it, what it was, for many of those women, it was the only time during the day that they allowed themselves to be totally there for themselves. So it was the 20 minutes that they could just dive into another reality. Well, imagine, however we escape in life, whether and we can escape in really positive ways. We can escape by constantly volunteering, by constantly caregiving, by constantly um, working. Imagine if you took a step back and said, perhaps all of this energy that's going out is about me not coming here and finding what's true for me. Because the beautiful irony is, the more authentically we we live our lives, the more energy we have to go back out into the world and do whatever it is we're here to do.
0: Hmm. I was going to say, hmm, that's starting to sound like me. (laughs) And I went, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I am doing what I love to do. (laughs)
1: and I, and yes, and I am as well. And there's nothing more fulfilling than being at home with yourself. And again, nobody's, this is the other thing I want to make sure we say is that authenticity is not about perfection. Mm. It's not, it's not like if you're authentic, you are there and you are like on top of some pedestal somewhere. Authenticity is about being real. It's about having all of the parts of you at the table. You know, the, the worried part, the, Fear, frightened part, the angry, the jealous, the bitter, the, the slow, the fast, the, you know, all of it at the table so that all the voices get to participate and you get to choose which voice you're going to lead from. But at any one moment, all of you gets to exist.
0: And you can try any one of them.
1: And you any can time. try, you can, you can choose who you bring forth because you've allowed them to live. You've allowed them to participate Mary Oliver has this beautiful line in one of her poems, you do not have to be good. That's how she starts. You do not have to be good, right? Or um, a wonderful sort of Greek poet, Marcus Tullius Tyro, who was a slave for a period of time and then eventually a freedman. He was the assistant to Cicero, wrote, sup at your own table, drink from your own well, right? When we drink from our own well that is authentically ours, there's enormous vitality there. Beautiful. And to bring that back to the death and dying world, when in our culture, because of the tremendous in freedom and opportunity we have in our culture, and because we do not live in a culture where, you know, people will actually kill us for being of a particular nationality or tribe or ethnic group, as we get ready to die, the longing to have lived a truer life becomes profound. And so what I find with almost everyone who has been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness is this immediate clarity that whatever time we have left, we are going to be there for ourselves in the healthiest ways possible.
0: Mm. Beautiful. And, And do you find that with the children? That you work with as well? I mean, children are all, I mean, I always say children are Zen masters. They, it's, it's hard for them not to be authentic, <laughs> direct, right in your face. They're going to say it like it is. <laughs> and I, and I, I truly believe I, I, I work with uh, children every morning, serving them breakfast and, you know, five and six year olds. And I love it because they are in your face. <laughs> and um, there, there is just such a authenticity, really, with most of them.
1: There is the beautiful gift, particularly of younger children is their innocence, which provides no filter. And so, and in that innocence, they feel free often to bring themselves fully on whatever that looks like (laughs) pink, you know, pink tutus, blue stripes, plaids, you know, tattoos on their forehead. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm bringing it all kind of thing. As we age those messages from society and sometimes from our families begin to impede that shape us toward what we think is the way to be loved. Authenticity is a risk because it means that as you stand in your true self, you run the risk of not being liked or loved by those who liked the old you, which was a narrower, narrower, more narrow version of yourself. Mm. Right. And so children, often don't run that risk because they just assume that they're going to be loved because the world is just a beautiful place to play in for them. Many children, not all, but many. And so one of the things that that those children at Dana-Farber, my first set of patients taught me was the remarkable capacity to love themselves in their lives, even with a diagnosis. Adults, we get a diagnosis where we go right into judgment. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Um, how did I fail? How did my body let myself down? We immediately begin to make it worse by making ourselves feel bad about the
0: diagnosis.
1: Children don't do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so is it? Do you find that there is a different sense of ease working with them as opposed to an adult? I'm not
1: going to say that because, you know, children, teenagers in particular, can be really challenging. The ease Mm -hmm. is in what they bring, that they often just bring themselves flat on, just Mm -hmm. straight up, you know, there's just no pulling punches. It's not always easy for the clinician or the practitioner to know how to respond to that in ways that they're healthful. So um, it's quite challenging. And at this stage in my life, I do most mostly work with adults now and there it's just everybody it's a different kind of challenge with adults it's about breaking down old patterns of thinking and habit that have caused them to think that they're not okay as who they are and with children it's about honoring who they are and mm-hmm. helping them make wise choices in their behavior anyway mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's really it's a it's a dance
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's mm-hmm. a dance and the the beauty is the more I'm at home with myself and my vulnerabilities and my foibles and you know my eccentricities, the more I can honor that in the people that I work with. The more it's absolutely okay for them to be who they are, because there's no barrier between us.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, with uh, your integration of the authenticity, and then working with people who are under some illness. Have you seen the illness shift in the means of um, they may be on one path where you know they are basically towards towards their transition and through your work with them and connecting with being more authentic, have you seen that their path changes, that their life might be prolonged or that the illness or whatever disease that they might have or been diagnosed with starts to the the numbers or starts to shift in their bodies.
1: I, I would, yes. And I would frame it more broadly. Mm -hmm. I, I'm only one piece in a puzzle. What happens when we are given a diagnosis is that not only do a number of new kinds of people come toward us, the experts and so on, but we also are given an opportunity to be with ourselves in a new way. And so where I see the shift happening in terms of a reversal of the numbers, the platelets, the white blood cells, the red blood cells, et cetera, the cancer cells, has to do with those patients who literally stand themselves in the moment and choose for themselves what is going to work for them. It doesn't always ultimately mean that they become healed but it does mean that a part of them heals enough that it creates the opportunity for more and more positivity to come into the whole system. And mm-hmm. so that may, for some patients, that means choosing alternative methodologies predominantly and a little bit of modern traditional medicine. For others, it means choosing traditional medicine and going to prayer group. For for others, it means none of the above. And, you know, I, I had one, um, patients say, I'm not doing anything until I fix my garden because I'm a gardener. You know, like, and, <laughs> and Bernie Siegel, Bernie Siegel tells a similar story in one of his early books, Love, Medicine and Miracles. You know, so uh, certainly in my best capacity, in our best capacity as caregivers, when we create the environment for a patient to be absolutely true to who he or she is, we create the opportunity For more positive things to happen, whether that is the, it's certainly not the only factor, but whether it's the direct factor to a reversal, I can't tell you.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's, um, just, uh just watching and seeing and uh, how the body-mind-spirit is so connected. Of course, I mean, the, the, you can't break that. That's the Trinity. You know? That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. And That's right. it's it, the balance between all three and, you know, the strong balance between all three that uh, it's, it's so interesting to hear you say that one person's chosen to do, you know, the traditional form of medicine and going to church every day or doing something, you know, that, that just rebalances that part of that Trinity within them. Right. Absolutely. But I love the gardening though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, There was a woman I met in Italy, Oh, maybe five years ago who had been given six months to live seven years prior with a terminal brain cancer. Hmm. And she, she did this amazing thing. She decided she wasn't going to have treatment. She was going to take all of her money travel the world, do the things that she had always wanted to do. So she spent six months traveling the world and she got better. And seven years later, she was still better. <laughs> and and That's she brilliant. was now at the point where she had no money left because she just, you know, she kept thinking, okay, I'm going to die soon. So I'm going to spend it. And now she had said, oh my God, now I have to build a whole new life again because <laughs> the cancer disappeared. And this was Fully diagnosed by two major teaching medical institutions in the United Kingdom. Mm. It was an absolute clear diagnosis. The scan, you know, the tumor was just, just right there, giant. And she dove into joy. So here's the connection to positive psychology. We do know from the research in positive psychology that those of us who are happier, have stronger immune systems are more physically and emotionally resilient and we tend to live longer. So as an antidote to diagnosis, why not as part of a treatment plan, invest in those things that nourish you, that make you happy. That gesture alone deepens authenticity. The truer we are to ourselves, the less stress we have. So it all works together in this sort of beautiful spiral.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so ha- I would think that you've le- heard of laughter yoga. Absolutely. And uh, do you see that being done in the hospitals and clinics where you are? I mean, have you, I mean, I, I, I love it. <laughs> I personally love it <laughs> because it's so easy to do and it costs right. nothing. And right. um, really it's, it's sort of, uh, even if someone isn't happy, it's kind of hard not to get kicked, you know, like get that mechanism going. Absolutely.
1: I tell my clients all the time, fake it till you make it. Just watch something, (laughs) you know, Google laughing yoga or laughing yogi, and you'll be belly laughing. And then your chemistry thinks you're having a good time. And so it begins to move in the direction of yet more happiness. And then you actually feel happy. So you can fake that a little bit. Um, I can't say that I'm seeing laughter yoga specifically in hospitals. What I am seeing though, um, in the child life, um, side of hospital programming or in the pediatric wards is more and more devotion to what you and I would think of as play, play therapy, mm. um, play specialists coming in on the adult side, certainly more openness to alternative methodologies, which includes things like laughter and comic relief. So there is definitely a, an expansion continuing to happen in
0: our hospitals. Mm. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I just told someone the other day that was uh, dealing with a a bit of an imbalance, uh, quite a serious imbalance. And I said, you know what? You're always watching these intense shows (laughs) about, you know, like the very intense series and everything. Will you turn that all off, please? And just rent a bunch of videos that will make you laugh. You know, right. just right. lighten up everything. Lighten up the load. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And uh, th- I know that there is a gentleman out here in uh, in L.A. area that was diagnosed with cancer, and he he was a very wealthy person, etc. And uh, when he was diagnosed and was only given uh, given a certain amount of time to live, he packed it all in and said, "Fine. Well, there's something wrong," and and uh, he focused on again, renting all these different things that made him laugh, like videos and shows and everything. And it turned it around, like this woman that you said in Italy. And now he actually hands out cards that says smile.
1: (laughs) Oh beautiful. (laughs) So now he pays it forward. You know, he pays 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 forward is the return of the gift of life forward. Right. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. mm -hmm. What you know, what all of this comes down to, Christina, is Mm -hmm. the remembering that the one thing we have control over is who we are in our day. That's it. Pretty much everything else is out of our control. What's going to happen tomorrow, what people around us are going to do, what our bosses are going to do, our colleagues, our friends, our family, the weather. It's not in our hands. Mm -hmm. What's in our hands is who we are in the moment, which is the day, the present day. And those of us who shape those moments toward deeper truth about what nourishes us have the best chance of living however long we're going to live a much healthier and happier life. So, you know, it comes down to the moments. And if you cho- you have a choice, do you smile when you get your cup of coffee in the morning or your, you know, wheat, germ, seagrass, green <laughs> spelt drink? <laughs> Or do you feel like you're burdened by it? you know do you do you watch the shows that lift you, or do you watch the shows that make you miserable? Is that what you put in your body? What do you put in your mind? What do you put in your body? You mm-hmm. have a choice mm-hmm. so so
0: so Maria why Why are we so scared to see who we really are
1: that's, an, that's a very easy answer. It's a, not an easy path, but it's an easy answer. We're scared to see who we are for two reasons, because we're scared of our beauty, of our light, of our capacity. And we're terrified that if we show those, we will be abandoned, we will be rejected and then abandoned. Hmm. It really comes down to connection. That many of us, particularly as teenagers, got messages that in order to fit in, to belong, to be loved, we would have to contort ourselves in certain ways. And adulthood is often a lot about the unraveling of that contortion so that we can be who we are and love ourselves anyway. And then from that place, invite like-minded, like-hearted, like-spirited people to join us in that.
0: Hmm. and even for for those which is the other way around you know um i quite often hear a lot well stop doing so much or stop giving so much stop helping so much or you will be taken advantage of
1: you know that's a belief system of some people Mm -hmm. that that you have to that it it's almost like it's the pie mentality like there's only a certain amount of love, goodwill, energy to go around. And if you use it up, it'll be gone. Or if you keep offering, people will take too much from you and then you'll suffer. Or it's somehow not okay to be that much. Hmm. You know? It's just not where I want to live anymore. And it's not where the people who I treat or who I work with want to live. Um, everybody who I've ever worked with in some way or another has had a longing to be truer to themselves and happier. Mm. I think it was Hafiz who said, when we distill everything down, when we distill all longings down, we will cast just two votes to be happy and love more. And authenticity is crucial to both of those.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Now in your um, work uh, with, um, with uh, the death, like people who are dying, do you work with the patient as well as with their families?
1: It varies from case to case. Um, sometimes I'm called in to support the families. Sometimes it's the siblings, sometimes it's the parents. Other times it's work directly with the patient. Um, it, you know It's however, mm. wherever the need is and however it works best in the family. Mm. Sometimes the patient has so much care around him or her that another person just isn't necessary. But to support the mom or the dad or the sibling, for example, through the journey is really where the best help that I can give. Um, so it varies. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, uh, so you're, you're brought in mainly as a consultant now.
1: Right, right. Every now and then I work straight on as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll do therapy. Um, I recently saw a photo of a teenager I worked with a couple of years ago who had a lymphoma who's doing beautifully. She's now in college Mm. and I hadn't seen her in about a year. And then her photo was in a sort of an alumni magazine. And when I knew her, she had no hair. There were bruises all over her body and she had um, lost a lot of weight, but paradoxically had a lot of swelling because of the drugs. Mm. This photo, she is just radiant. Mm. She's hanging out with her college buddies. Absolutely radiant.
0: Oh, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this so the a, joys, isn't it? It's really the joys of what you do. It's such a it gift.
1: Is the, it is the whoa, you know. It is the yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Was, yeah so joyful, and and uh, I, you know, I myself, I think we had a conversation when we first sort of uh, connected, and and uh, I had shared with you how I re, I've for whatever reason, you know, I've been surrounded by people who are either dying or, or you know, <laughs> in some sort of transition. And, and from a child till now, it's just been such a joy to work with individuals and such an honor to, to help them, you know, make that transition from this world. But, um, and for those who, you know, have been told that they've have a very short time and then it, it's extended, you know, much longer, you know, just the joy and that they have. I mean, for me, I always say to people, that's the gift. You know, money right. can't buy that kind of a gift. It, it's just so heartfelt and warm and radiant, isn't it?
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. People, I'm sure they ask you this, like, how do you do that? How do you spend time with people who are dying? It is actually one of the most magical journeys to be on. Yes. Not always, but often one of the most magical journeys to be on. And I also feel, do you feel this way too? I feel like in every instance, I'm given incredible life wisdom
0: from oh, them, yes. from their experience. Oh, yes. And even if they're in a coma state, even, you know, and they're not verbally, like, like people say, well, well, how can you spend so many hours here? And it's like, oh, we're communicating on an energetic level. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? right. That's it, right. Yeah. It's almost right. like a, a download. You know, the computer, you just plug it in. and <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> but it is amazing. And also working with the teams of people that you had mentioned is like being a part of a team of people who is assisting the individual. There, it is uh, magnificent how it's a dance, as you say, even with the the medical personnel that are present. It's beautiful the the way everyone's giving.
1: Uh, you know, there there are a few things more potent and meaningful than watching an entire team move together for the benefit of someone else. I don't know if you have spent much time in the last day or two watching the videos from what's happened in Boston, but everyone I've worked with and spoken to in the last 24, 48 hours has commented on the moment of the bomb and the smoke and then the sight of people rushing toward you know, moving toward and that kind of capacity to move toward danger or to move toward those who are suffering is what we see in our medical teams and in our hospice teams and our wellness communities is the, is the longing to move toward that, which is wounded and do what you can to repair. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. you know, short of, I don't know, Playing World Cup soccer? I can't imagine a better team to be on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can agree to that one. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So, Marianne, uh, you you continue to work with the death and dying, but right now you are also working with um, an incredible group of individuals uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Sure. Can you share with us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I've had the great um, honor to be invited to teach with Tal Ben-Shahar, who's one of the world's leading psychologists in the arena of positive psychology, specifically happiness. And together we are helping to co-lead a program through Kropalo Yoga Retreat Center in Lenox, Massachusetts. It's a 10-month blended learning program, a certificate in positive psychology. So we are reaching students adult learners from all around the world in a variety of professions and life paths, all of whom want to understand how to be happier, how to sustain happiness, and how to bring that to those whom we serve.
0: Mm. One drop is a thousand waves.
1: Oh, I, I, and, and in this case, a mm-hmm. thousand radiant waves. I mm. mean, the, the, the joy that is built up once we learn... Not only the tools, but the research that supports the tools, and then the practical application of those tools in our daily existence—it's like you, you, you know—it answers a question that many of us don't even know we have. You know, all of, everyone at some point or another says, "I just wish I were happier," or "I wish I were more peaceful," but we don't realize that there's a second question, which is, "How do I get there?"
0: And tall, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the big one. Oh yeah, that's, that's what the we want. Now, that's right. What do like, I do? One,
1: Yeah. It turns out wanting is actually not enough. I mean, we do move toward what we intend. We do move toward what we imagine, but there's two phrase, two words in there. It's imagine and it's move. And that the action part is crucial. It turns out that happiness really is potentiated by our daily habitual behaviors of happiness so, we have to figure out first what actually enlivens us and then choose to go there on a daily basis and What Tal and his colleagues have done around the world is provide us with a phenomenal set of research over the last twenty years that provides for us an understanding of the how to mm.
0: mm. so so now now, this course is 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 it open um only to professionals or
1: it's open to everyone, um, any adult learner. So you can be actually in college or graduate school. You can be 80 years old. You can, you can own your own business. You can be a yoga teacher, massage therapist, um, consultant in the financial world, lawyer, the whole spectrum, the mm. whole spectrum. Mm. So, and we have students coming from every continent. And it's just, it's amazing.
0: Oh, that's Fantastic and And so, so, I know that the first the first series is just completed. That's why you had quite a wallop of a weekend. <laughs> That's right. but you're already moving into the second stream, like the second uh, round of this uh, yes. or, again, because it was uh, so popular. yeah, uh, the first time that uh, Krapalu right. has chosen to do a second round here, another yeah. ten months that you will be another on. Ten <laughs>
1: um, yep. Can't there's nothing more I'd rather do.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um now um what can you share with us uh now that the first round is over, some of the the um uh, what you've seen, the some of the unfolding or the blossomings that you've seen around. Can you share that with us?
1: Sure. So um for some of the students, what happened over this 10-month period was a, a, an absolute clarity about what no longer worked for them, and then um, a playfulness toward experimenting with happiness to bring about whatever does work. So we saw that with parents who were struggling with their children and how to work with their children in such a way that they elevated the children's strengths and their capacity instead of focusing on what was constantly wrong between them. We saw it in business professionals who understood that managing teams is uh, that you have an opportunity when you manage teams to ask questions that actually elevate the team. So to inquire about what was working, when were you your best in this position? What made this really move forward for you in the past? And how do we bring that, how do we mine the past for the positive and bring that into the future again, as opposed to constantly focusing on what was wrong or where the vulnerabilities were. Um, we saw it And there were some wonderful professional men who came into the program who were absolutely clear that this was going to be about how they were going to be better managers or executives or team players. And they left at the end of the 10 months, just absolutely astonished at how it opened their hearts. Mm. And then the other was true. We found people who had signed up for the class just because they wanted, as they said, just because they wanted to be happier, like in their own skin. And suddenly they have this vitality to go out and develop six-week training programs for children at risk in their community. So they've moved now into the professional arena out of the the, the experience of having stepped into the well that is truly theirs. Mm. So, you know, every side of the spectrum of life was elevated through this particular experience. And and I have to say that Tal is absolutely brilliant, and the research supports his brilliance. He's an absolute genius at putting this whole curriculum together and weaving in the best of science and experience now. So the material is there. And what makes a tremendous difference is that we do this together in groups. We now understand that sustainable, positive transformation is best achieved when we do it with another person or a group of people. So this kind of blended, learn, extended learning is actually quite potent in this arena.
0: Mm. And it is also, um, if I may mention, that it's the, the first time that it's also being, most of it's being presented online. Right. Right. So, we, do,
1: we do get together for a week in the beginning and we break into small groups and those become our work groups over 10 months. But most of the learning during those 10 months is online.
0: And how did that feel for you to actually, 10 months is a long time. I mean, it's really not long, but you know, a long time for a course to be taking place. And uh, for you uh, who is working very directly with people, you know, with most of your career, how did that feel for you to do this online?
1: You know, it was very funky at the beginning. I had no idea how this was going to work out. And most of my student contact would be through email or through Skype every now and then, or, or through phone calls. And um, I don't do therapy over the phone. So I thought, well, how is this going to work over the phone? And it turned out to be fantastic. Um Because the level of engagement for a someone who signs up for a 10-month blended learning program is deeply engaged. And the level of engagement and motivation was so high that we were able to get stuff done through the technology that I didn't know would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So the consulting piece really proved to be really successful in this way. I have to tell you though, I'm so delighted that we had a week together at the beginning and a week at the end, because at the, at the heart of it for me personally is relationship. So to be able to be in relationship with these students and watch them shift over a 10 month period, mm. um, was amazing, but there was another great gift that I want to tell you about. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to authenticity in order to model positive transformation as one of the faculty, Um, We devised this program called a 30-day challenge in which every 30 days I would set a challenge, a happiness boost challenge for myself, and then blog about it at night. And any student who wanted to be part of the challenge or part of the blog was welcome to. So the first 30 days I chose something that we know is a happiness boost. I wrote in a journal um, statements of gratitude to the teachers I've had in my life, what they taught me, and then a statement of gratitude. I did that for 30 days. And you know what? That It felt okay, but it wasn't like a giant uplift. So then I thought, well, that's happier, but I really want to be happier. So what makes me really happy? Well, moving my body makes me happy. I'm a jock from way back. So I decided my next 30-day challenge was going to be exercise that worked so much better, was I, and I 10 minutes a day. That's all I held myself accountable for was 10 minutes every day. I was able to do that about 27 out of 30 days. Definitely felt greater happiness, greater vitality, greater health. And then I thought, well, gosh, am I allowed to be even happier than that? So decided to tweak that to even greater happiness because my deepest happiness in exercise is actually dance. So then I set a 90-day challenge for myself. Well, 88 out of 90 days over the last 90 days, I've danced sometimes 10 minutes a day, sometimes a half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes. And that Christina, that simple action of having, excuse me, 10 minutes a day devoted to something that brings me joy changes everything. It changes my neurochemistry. It changes how I see the world. It changes how happy I am when my children wake up in the morning and I'm driving them to school. It changes my interactions late at night because I know that the next day I'm going to wake up and do something happy again. And as, as, you know, as hallmarky as that word sounds, happy, it is profoundly important. It brings health. And well-being and strength and resilience, and it turns out it also brings success in the world. So um, so it wasn't just about, you know, watching them evolve. it was also about watching me evolve into deeper and deeper commitment to the things that truly deeply lift me.:
0: mm. The one thing that strikes me about this um, 30-day challenge, it's so simple.) <laughs> Right. It is so simple. It it was like when, when the first time I, I really, uh, I had um, interviewed someone about Ayurvedic medicine, I'm going, oh, I've heard this and I've heard that. And it sounds so complicated. And she just said three things every day. Lemon water in the morning, (laughs) massage your feet at night. And there was one more thing. And I I think it was about, about some washing in some way. I said, oh, I can do that. Three years later, I still have my cup of lemon water in the morning. Beautiful. (laughs) Do do you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It's uh, you know we we all um, the this pace of the world has become faster and faster. Time is going by faster and faster. When you have it, when I see children look at me and go, "Wow, that month passed by," I look at them and go, "Uh "Oh, (laughs) oh," you know. When we were growing up, it was like, wow, when is this month going to be over? You know, it's it's long. Now time is sped up and people are looking for the five minute fix, the three minute fix. And what you've just given us in just this last few moments is those, the, the, the first simple steps to reconnecting.
1: Right, right. And with those steps, the hard thing is not the steps. The hard thing is not knowing what's going to make us happier. Often we already know that. It's the choosing to practice it daily. Mm -hmm. It's the choosing to be in it with someone who can support us. The research demonstrates that we do much, much better if we make these transformations in connection to others. So an accountability partner, a group that we're doing it with, our community, Um, it's the reason why you know, those AA groups work beautifully is that no one is in it alone. You are always in community in those programs. And that knowing has proven to be true from a scientific point of view. So um, the steps themselves are simple. The application of the step is where we get caught up and we find that we do better when we're in community doing that. And when we're, the, we're really clear with ourselves that small change on a daily basis will lead to a big transformation. It's when we try to do these big, complicated transformations all at once. Where I'm going to eat differently, exercise every day, do my gratitude practice, write in my journal, meditate. Oh, you know, be kind to my children, practice appreciative inquiry in my, you know, like stop. <laughs> right.
0: yeah. Five, right. yeah, whoa, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I I like the I like that uh, the dance every day. So are you going to continue that?
1: I am. I, you know, I, it's, it's going to be a month before I see my, meet my next group of students. And so I'm not blogging, but I have, I'm totally committed to doing it every day in the interim as if I matter, you know, as if my life matters that to go back to that authenticity piece, being true to oneself, mean, means standing in the center of your day as if you count, And what I have figured out is that me counting doesn't mean that other people don't count or that it means that I count more than anybody else. It actually means that I'm in it with everybody, that we're in the dance together. And that's what we all want. We all want to be in the dance. And because I have the capacity to say, well, my needs matter, maybe not more than yours, but at least as much as yours, then I give you permission to have your needs matter as much as mine. And in this way, we sort of Lift each other.
0: Mm. Mm. Beautiful. And uh, it, it really goes across the board. I mean, in all that we do. If our core and we are strong individuals, we're able to boost others. And that reciprocation is that, that gifting, that paying it forward and that gifting back, I always say, it raises everything to a whole nother level in life. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: John Milton said centuries ago that, you know, we can make a hell out of heaven or heaven out of hell. And it turns out to make heaven out of hell. And, you know, life is suffering. People are diagnosed every day. Bombs do go off. Floodwaters rise in. Towers do fall in the presence of that reality, that knowing how do we make a heaven out of that hell? And in order to do so, it behooves us to consider that we are part of heaven, that we are divine, worthy, important, whatever word you want to use, whether it has a spiritual connotation or not, that we belong in the heaven that we can create in this world.
0: Mm. Let's be that. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Let's be that. Uh, Maria, we're coming to the top of our hour. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: You know, I would love for them to know that it's possible that whoever is listening at whatever point you are in your life, whether life has become extraordinarily heavy, whether you're currently in recovery from a diagnosis or uh, just received a diagnosis, whether life has gone along swimmingly and then suddenly shocked you in some way, or whether you're just kind of ambling along fine, you know, like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) No matter where, no matter where you are in life, that it is absolutely possible to change your life toward deepening happiness, deepening authenticity, and a sense of well-being such that you feel like you're in the dance together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's so much good information out there and so much research. I hope that as people listen to the program, they feel comfortable to, to be in touch with Christina and all the beautiful things that she offers. And, you know, through my website, however, I can be of help in assisting you to take that next step. Uh, there is no other greater gift for me than the opportunity to be in it with each of us as we're growing. So, Mm. thank you for this opportunity, Christina, and more than anything to let people know that it is absolutely possible.
0: Um, Maria, would you like to share your website with everyone?
1: Sure. My website is, it's just my name, www.mariaserwa.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S as in Sam, I-R-O-I-S as in Sam.com.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for honoring us today. And we, we hope to have you back on the show again very shortly as you go into your next uh, round out there <laughs> with the next group of uh, uh, participants. It, it sounds very thrilling. And um, I can't wait to hear more about that and, of course, more about your work. I know an hour is very short, but we're able to just touch the tip of the iceberg, I'm sure.
1: Thank you so much, Christina, for all that you do. And, um, you know, may this be a time of great peace for all of us.
0: Mm, Yes, thank you. Thank you. We would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We are grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 1.30 Eastern Time, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anantara. Until we meet again, namaste. At the time, so, like, when you receive a box at your door you know that your tummy will be happy at the same time you're actually feeding a hungry child too. That's fantastic.
1: Because each day you know I see people who are in circumstances you know they're moving towards the end of their life and so that provides me each day a reminder of how blessed I am how